Today, our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke. Tradition tells us that Luke was one of the Apostle Paul's travel buddies. In Luke's own words, he is writing an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us after investigating everything carefully. The purpose is that we might know the truth about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's quite likely that Luke knew the works that we call the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew. But Luke does not begin with John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness and then Jesus' baptism, as does Mark, or Jesus' genealogy and Joseph learning from an angel in a dream that Mary will give birth to a son conceived by the Holy Spirit, like in Matthew. But Luke begins earlier in God's plan to save with a priest named Zechariah, who is told in the temple that he and his wife Elizabeth will have a long-awaited child in their old age. But Zechariah questions the Lord's ability to do what the angel says the Lord will do. Only after these events does Luke tell about the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary that she will have a son conceived by the Holy Spirit who she is to name Jesus. And our lesson today begins following the angel's announcement to Mary. So as we prepare to read God's word, let us join together in prayer, seeking God's illuminating grace. O oh God, your word is more precious than fine gold and sweeter than purest honey. As we turn to your scriptures, send your Holy Spirit to infuse your word with truth and grace so that the good news of your love would shine before our eyes and delight our senses and so that we cannot help but respond in wonder, hope, and faith as we trust in your work in us and in this world. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter, beginning at verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. 
and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Two weeks ago, we began the season of Advent by talking about the statement, life is, and how we might finish that statement. We acknowledge that there are many, many ways to complete life is, but that one of the best ways to understand life is as follows. Life is often difficult, but God is working to make something wonderful in the midst of our difficulties. Sometimes, even often, it is difficult for us to see how God can and is doing this, making something wonderful in the midst of life's challenges and difficulties. The reason is we suffer from a limited perspective and myopic vision. If Mary, the mother of Jesus, were here with us today, I believe that she would agree with the statement, life is often difficult, but God is working to make something wonderful in the midst of our difficulties. Our lesson today, and particularly Mary's song, the Magnificat, is a celebration of the wonderful that God brings in the midst of life's difficulties. Our lesson takes place some months before the birth of Jesus. Mary has recently learned from the angel that she will bear a son conceived by the Holy Spirit. And almost immediately, Mary decides to visit her older cousin Elizabeth. And she travels about 100 miles south to the hill country of Judah, a five-day journey and an amazing trip for a young, pregnant, unwed girl. No doubt, the awkwardness of her situation played a role in her decision to visit her cousin. After all, having a child out of wedlock was a serious offense. Mary could be stoned for adultery. At the very least, she could be rejected by Joseph and her parents and her village and spend the rest of her days in poverty, struggling to keep herself and her child fed and sheltered outside the safety of marriage and community. Even though she is only a young person, Mary knows life's difficulties. But there's another reason for Mary to visit Elizabeth. God has been doing something wonderful in Elizabeth 
the wife of Zechariah. Far beyond childbearing years, Elizabeth is now pregnant with her very first child. But Elizabeth's son is not divinely conceived any more than you or I are. Yet this birth is significant. He will be the forerunner of the Messiah, the anointed one. And of course, we know him as John the Baptist. Elizabeth and Mary are really quite the pair. They've been described in this way. One of them is too old to be a mother and the other is too young. But both are in the hands of God. And of course, being in the hands of God is exactly where we want to be also. In that culture and at that time and place, it normally would have been appropriate for Mary to pay homage to her elder Elizabeth. But this is no normal situation. Elizabeth, through the Holy Spirit and her unborn child, recognizes that she is in the presence of the mother of God's Messiah. And Luke tells us that as soon as Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, the baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb and and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to sing a song of praise and pronounces Mary blessed. In a loud voice, she exclaims, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. This is amazing, don't you think? Elizabeth's unborn son announces the the coming of of God's son and Messiah. And in humility, Elizabeth asks, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth's words of praise are also quite ironic because you see her husband, Zachariah, had responded with not belief but with disbelief when the angel Gabriel came to him and announced that he and Elizabeth would have a long-awaited child. Now Mary breaks in to the beautiful song we know as the Magnificat. In song, Mary magnifies and glorifies the Lord. This song is also called the song or the canticle of Mary. And in the Greek tradition, the ode of the Theotokos, or the son of the God-bearer. Mary sings, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. 
He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. Mary's song is a a faith song under difficult and demanding circumstances. It proclaims God's faithfulness and a coming great reversal among the kingdoms and the peoples of the world. We know it is easy to sing when things are going well. But how about when life is not fair and when life is hard? Mary's pregnancy has has begun with the words from the angel, do not be afraid, Mary. Luke writes, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this must be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. The angel The angel's command sounds perfectly absurd. Do not be afraid, Mary. But doesn't Mary have every reason to be afraid? Just imagine, if you would, an angel coming to you with words of an unexpected, unplanned, almost certainly unwanted pregnancy. Just for a moment. Put yourself in the place of an unwed teenager who hears the words, you're going to have a baby. Feel the emotions, the shock, the fear. And of course, if Mary is listening, it's even more troubling than that. This is no ordinary pregnancy or ordinary baby. This baby will be the son of God. And if Mary is still listening, she hears that this child is coming for nothing less than taking over the throne of David, challenging the powers that be, confronting the values and the standards of the day, and ushering in more fully the kingdom of God. All of a sudden, this angelic visitation doesn't look or sound very much like a sentimental Hallmark greeting card, does it? It sounds like the overwhelming challenge of a lifetime. Mary has every right to be afraid, and she was. And of course, so would we be. But about fear, Max Locator writes this. Fear, it seems, has taken a hundred-year lease on the building next door and set up shop. 
oversized and rude. Fear is unwilling to share the heart with, with happiness. And I would add faith. Happiness complies and leaves. Did you ever see the two together? Can one be happy and afraid at the same time? Clear thinking and afraid. Confident and afraid. Merciful and afraid. Of course, the answer is no, he writes. Fear is the big bully in the high school hallway, he says. Brash, loud, and unproductive. For all the noise that fear makes, it's unproductive. Fear never wrote a symphony, negotiated a peace treaty, or cured a disease. Fear never pulled a family out of poverty or a country out of bigotry. Fear never saved a business or a marriage. Courage did that. Faith did that. People who refused to consult or cower to their timidities did that. But fear itself, fear herds us into prison and slams the door. Into that prison of fear, we hear the word of the angel to Mary. Do not be afraid. The same word came to Joseph in a dream. Don't be afraid. The same word came to Zechariah and to Elizabeth. Fear not. And the same word will ultimately come to shepherds in a field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. It's a word, you see, to all people. It's God's word to you. The angelic greeting comes with incredible monotony through the Advent story. The same greeting, the same command, the same blessing. Repeated over and over again. Fear not. What if instead of fear, faith was our default reaction to threats and difficulty? In the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, the challenges and the events of life overwhelm George Bailey. And they bring him hopeless to a middle of a bridge over a raging river as he contemplates suicide, jumping into that that river. That is until Clarence Oddbody, his guardian angel, jumps in ahead of George in order to save him. And Clarence takes George on a journey that helps George see through his fear and to look up, to look up to the Lord. And as we heard in our video today, as George returns to that bridge, George prays a prayer of faith. Please God, he prays, I want to live again. Is there anyone listening who needs to pray that prayer today? Would you say it with me right now? 
please God. We want to live again. We want to live without fear. We want to live in the fullness of your love and grace. We want to live in your hope and believe in the possibilities in this life and in the strength of your amazing presence that is with us right now. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We want to live again. Amen. In the midst of her difficulty, Mary sings a faith song. I hope you will join Mary in singing. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful for the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Sisters and brothers, the antidote to fear begins with faith in the God of the ages. And in the conviction that God is actively involved in the lives of all of God's people. Yes, you and I have a God who is present. A God who is with us. Paul, writing to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 38, writes this. For we know that God works in all things for good. For those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. I want you to notice first what Paul does not say. He does not say that all things are good. He doesn't say that. Rather, in the midst of whatever life may bring, God is at work for good in the lives of God's people. This is God's promise to you today and every day. Do not be afraid. The Lord is with you. God is still present. God is still active in this world. And God offers us a faith that can face the uncertain and difficult present and provide us a hope for the future. In Jesus Christ, we have a faith that enables us to deal with today because, you see, we have an assurance for tomorrow. It is a wonderful life, sisters and brothers, and we're called to believe in it, not to fear, but to have faith, for the Lord is with you. Amen.